Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready today, we have special guest Matthew Petit, who will be teaching in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 32. The title of this sermon is, Yet Even Now. Here is the first half of this three-part study. All right, so uh, Joel chapter two, it's kind of it's kind of different being in the Old Testament, and I know a lot of people don't, you know, because over at at Grace we we usually have Wednesday night, and it's our Old Testament. We started with Isaiah, and we've kind of worked our way all the way to Amos now, and a lot of people are like, when are we ever gonna get out of the prophets in the Old Testament? Because it, it it gets repetitive for for people reading it. And, and I could see that because sometimes it is kind of like a doom and gloom message that you, you hear with, with the prophets. And, um, but I really think that's a service to, to the word when you really look at the Old Testament. When you look at the major and the minor prophets, yes, you do see like, hey, judgment is near and it's time for you to get right. But what's so, more, what's, what's so beautiful about each and every book is you see the steadfast love of God for his people to be restored, to be transformed. And even more, you see how much we relate to Israel and how we're, we're stuck in this cycle of sin. Because that's what you see in, in the, the Old Testament is, is the cycle of sin. You see Israel is faithful, but they begin to take their eyes off of God. They start walking by sight and not by faith. And they start following in and looking after to these false idols, these gods, and they start following in that way. And then they're enslaved back into their sin. And, and judgment is near. And God's telling them, hey, turn back. Because where, where you're going and where sin is leading you is robbing you from my plan, my perfect plan for you. My, my blessing that I have for you by fulfilling my law. Because that's what the law of God is, is, is that guideline to, to keep us on track. And so... You see Israel gets right with the Lord and they're faithful, but then the cycle continues because it's all dependent upon them. And, and there's none good, the Bible says, no, not one. And, and we were enslaved and trapped in our sin, and that's why we needed a Savior. And that's why God established his new covenant. And that's the beauty of the New Testament is when you're led to the cross, when you're led to the ministry of Jesus, you find the missing link that, that we've been needing is, is the ultimate sacrifice to fulfill the law and to fulfill his plan and purpose. And so 
that's why it's so important to, to study the Old Testament because it leads you into the new. It leads you into his grace, leads you into his love, his mercy, and even to his spirit. So what we're going to learn today. So if you're taking notes, uh, the kind of the theme of Joel is the day of the Lord. That's, that's a, uh, a, a phrase you'll hear often in the book. And I know we're jumping in the middle of chapter two, but hang with me. It all makes sense. Uh, the title, as it's all, I like how it's all like written out there. So sick. usually I have to like explain it. But uh, it's uh, the title is uh, Yet Even Now. And uh, we're going to look at the book of Joel in three parts. Um, and it's going to be in uh, the first point, which will be the Lord executes his justice in verses 1 through 11. And then the second point will be the Lord provides his mercy uh, in verses 12 through uh 27 and then finally the lord empowers by his spirit verses 28 through 32 and so a little bit about the book of joel the book of joel is a very straightforward book it's it's pretty blunt and it's pretty like this is the word and and this is what it means and this is what it says and it's it's awesome and and whenever you study the book of joel and and whenever you read the book of joel the only known information that is surrounding this book, the only details that we know for sure about this book is the author and the father of the author, right? In, in Joel verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it explains us clearly who the author is and who his father is, right? The prophet Joel, uh, the son of Pethuel, and that's it. That's the only information that you're given about the book of Joel. There's no dating. There's no time. There's none of these details. The only details that you're given is those two. And I, and I really believe it's intentionally written in that way, especially when you hear Joel delivering the message of the Lord. He was a prophet all about the message, and that's it. There's not much known about him. And so it's purposely written and structured in this way. Because when you study this book, and I've, and I've heard people teach about it, and there's a lot of variables, there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainties, because the only things that we know about the book, right, the author and his father. So when it comes to talking about locusts and all these other details, it's easy to get like really fixated on those things and really dive in and your whole studying and, and reading. You can get isolated on those. Like, is he talking about a real locust? Is this representing an army? And you'll see in verse 4 today, you know, it talks about this army is like swift like a horse. And I was reading a commentary one time and someone's like, well, you know, a horse is, is you know, similar to a locust in the way it's facial structure. And, and I was reading and I was like, what the heck are we even talking about here? The main idea of this book and, and the why Joel writes this book in, in a straight up way, you know, the book of Joel is simply stated like this, right? It could be said like this. The day of the Lord is near. God's judgment is upon us. How will you respond? That's all that Joel is, is getting at in this book. The, the day of the Lord is near. God's judgment is upon us. And how will you respond? And that simplistic urgency concerning the word of God and the application of the word of God is so important. Because... Again, you get caught up in all this, this mess, but what Joel understood is that God's execution of his justice leads you somewhere. When God is, is pouring out his, his wrath and he's, you know, he's a righteous judge, the Bible tells us, and so when he's executing his justice and when he's laying it out, right, 
and, and being a just God, it's usually to lead us somewhere. It's either to you to experience his wrath or an opportunity of mercy. And that's what we see in the book of Joel. And so I love this phrase that you see in Joel, yet even now. It's those three words are so hopeful, that little phrase that you'll see in this book, because it comes directly from uh, the, the chapter itself in verse 12, as it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. I love that because this is in the middle of him saying, hey, judgment is near. This army is coming at you. It's complete desolation. Once a land like the Garden of Eden is now desolate wilderness. But yet even now, while God's judgment and wrath is being poured out, return to me. Rend your heart and not your garments. I love that phrase because we're going to study again. Uh, with these three points, we're going to see how God is a righteous God executing his judgment on the day of the Lord. And when he's executing his, his judgment and he's executing his justice, it's to lead us to somewhere. It's leading you and pushing you somewhere. And, you know, it's either to experience his wrath or his mercy. And so we'll see in our second point, as God provides an opportunity of mercy and restoration, because that's his heart. You know, his heart is to see uh, all come to repentance and faith, right? And that's why it tells us in, in Peter, don't count him as slowness. You know, especially as we talk about the day of the Lord. They've been talking about the day of the Lord since Jesus left. That was 2,000 years ago, and that's something, even with our own history in Calvary Chapel, that was the biggest thing. This is our DNA, is the day of the Lord is near, Maranatha, right? Come, Lord Jesus. And so, some people may be, may be like, well, he still hasn't come yet, but there's still an important urgency to this because we know it's a thief in the night. And so we'll get into that. And then finally, how the Lord empowers us by his spirit, which is so important because I love this because yet even now while you're facing judgment, I have an opportunity of mercy for you. And even in the middle of your situation, there's hope for restoration and transformation. But then into the future, Yet even now, I will empower you by my spirit to sustain you. Because this is what Israel was needing this, this whole time. They needed, the, and not on their own strength to fix things, but they needed an, an infinite power, which is, which is through the spirit, which God provides us. So with all that, y'all with me, y'all kind of, kind of, y'all rolling with me still. I know it's a lot of information to get at one time, but it's important because, you know, we're jumping in the middle of a book. And, in, and when you have these details, it, it only helps you with, with understanding. This is how I have to do it because, man, shoot, if I, I'm, I'm terrible. I've, I just did my, I'm back in school and <laughs> I did my, uh, had to do my placement test. And I got a, I, I, I was looking at the words that said, not college ready. I was like, oof, okay. <laughs> so that's what you're dealing with here. So, but we're, you know what, we're rocking and rolling because, you know what, the Lord, sustains us amen all right so let's dive into our first point uh the lord executes uh his justice verses 1 through 11 right and so a key point to remember here right the lord remains just as he executes his judgment on the day of the lord and so the warning about the day of the lord right it begins in verse 1 blow a trumpet in zion sound an alarm on my holy mountain let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the lord is coming it is near 
a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and uh, thick darkness, like a black, uh, like a blackness there has never been uh, seen before. They're spread on a mountain, a great and powerful people. They've never been seen before, nor will they be ever seen again throughout all the years of the generations. Flower, uh, fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate, uh, desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. What an awesome way to open up a Sunday morning Bible study. <laughs> but um, immediately we see here in verse 1, it, it there's some important like languages happening here when it tells us to blow a trumpet and sound the alarm. It's a sense of warning, a sense of urgency that Joel is explaining to the people that in chapter one, he was explaining, hey, in the near future, the day of the Lord is coming. Right. And so be prepared, like the time to get right is now. But now as you switch into chapter two, he tells them, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm. The time is near. Right. The army is on its way. And so what is the day of the Lord, right? It's a phrase we hear often. We're reading about it in this book. And the day of the Lord is simply, um, in the Bible, is referring to a time of God's judgment, right? Of God pouring out his wrath, the day of the Lord. And um, it's associated usually with, you know, the end times, the rapture, right? The day of the Lord, when the Lord comes back, he's coming back as a lion, right? The lion of Judah. And he's coming back as a righteous judge, right? To, to deal with sin and the world. So with the day of the Lord, whenever you go in to study about it, typically it's, it's um, eschatology, which is just a fancy word about the study of, of the end times, right? The study of the last days. And so What's happening here in, in the book of Joel is this is not only a prophecy for this portion of time that was happening in Israel, but it's also a future prophecy concerning about the day of the Lord when Jesus is coming back. So whenever you study biblical prophecy, I love how it, it, our, my pastor broke it down. Um, you got to look at it with bifocals, right? We all know bifocals right? You, you can see near you, but it's to help you also see ahead. And so when you look at biblical prophecy, there's an immediate fulfillment that happens, right? So the immediate fulfillment happened in the time of Joel, right? As, as Israel was judged, and, and when you see how the Lord restores them, like there was a period of time Israel was restored. But an ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy we know is when Jesus comes back. And the church is raptured and God begins pouring out his wrath and dealing with evil sin in this world. And there'll be a time of, of restoration and peace as it's the millennium reign of Jesus. And so the day of the Lord can simply be described like Zephaniah uh, says in Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 14 and 16 says this. The great day of the Lord is near and near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. Here he begins describing about the day specifically, right? The mighty men cry out loud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress, a day of anguish, a day of ruin, a day of devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpets blast and a battle cry against the fortified cities and the lofty battlements. And so this day, there ain't nothing good about it. When, when I think, when you, when you read this, um, I mean, how bitter is this day that even the mighty men of war, right? When I think about this, I think of just like people like Goliath <laughs> and like people that are like, 
the top warriors that you see. It, it describes them on that day that they are crying out loud because of the anguish and like the severity of what's happening in this day. It's a day of darkness, and it's just nothing but a day of battle and war. That's what he describes that's, that's happening here. And when you read this, it's, it's, you see how it kind of goes back into Joel, how he talks about, you know, there's this army that has never been seen before that's, that's bringing on God's judgment. And he describes how fire goes before them and behind them flames burn. And how when they enter the land, the land that was once like the Garden of Eden, a land of, you know, that was good, beautiful, holy to the Lord is, is left desolate and destroyed by this. And so whenever you, you hear about the day of the Lord, it should create a sense of urgency within us. And it's not out of fear or an anxiety, you know, that, you know, it's a turn or burn type of deal. Obviously, it should create like a healthy sense of us, like a conviction and a fear regarding this day, a reverence and, and, and understanding what it means. That's what it should bring us, not an emotional response. Because an emotional response, you know, if you're relying on emotions and feelings, those things come and go. But when you have fear, reverence, it's a choice to honor, recognize, and it impacts the way you live your life. And so that's what's so important about us when it's regarding the day of the Lord. And so he continues on in verse 4, detailing the invading army. As he says, their appearances are like the appearance of horses, and like a war horse they run. As they ramble uh, with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on top of the mountains like the crackling of a flame. Fire devours the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, people are in anguish and all faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge like soldiers. They scale the walls. They march each on his own way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each one marches in their path. They burn, uh, burst through with weapons that are not halted. They leap upon cities. They run upon walls. They climb upon houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. This army is no joke. <laughs> Whenever you're reading about this, they are straight up warriors that they're reading about. And when you're reading this, and, and again, if you want to dive into whether this is actual locusts or this is actual an army, you could do that. But the main picture here is regardless of what's happening, there's no escaping this judgment that's coming upon them. There's nothing that they can do to, to run, to go. They're, they're, these homies are straight up scaling up walls. They're going through windows. And then even when he talks about the army, they don't, like, they're, they're moving in such a systematic way. Like, their, their efficiency is like a horse. It's swift. The rumbling of chariots, like they, they know what they need to do. This is like SEAL Team 6 on steroids. They are going at it. And it's so important to understand, like, the scene of, like, when you picture this, what's happening, like, as, as Joel is, and is telling them, this day is going to come to them. And you can just imagine, like, he's telling them, hey, sound the alarm. Alert the people. When this invading army is coming, you hear the rumbling of chariots. You hear the, the screams and the anguish of people and their faces grow pale. And reacting, like when, when I read this, I just think of, you know, when it says before them, people are in anguish, their faces grow pale. Imagine that day in Israel when the alarms are sounded. And then you see it talks about where it was a, it was a cloud of blackness, like over the mountain. It's just, 
an invading army that is coming and you hear the rumbling of chariots and what he's talking about that people are experiencing is that sinking feeling in your gut. I don't know about you, but whenever I would get in trouble as a kid and then I would hear the door open or footsteps, you feel that sinking feeling. You're oh, shoot, I, did, I'm, I done messed up. And you know, it's about to go down. That's that feeling that they're experiencing because God's word is, is unveiling before their eyes and it's coming forth. And so there's a sense of urgency that we must respond and the reason why, and I love the rest of Zephaniah, he continues um, telling us why the Lord is warning them, creating the sense of urgency in them. He says in the rest of um, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, I will bring disaster on mankind so that they will, uh, so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither silver nor gold will be able to deliver them on the day of wrath of the Lord. In fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end, I will make the inhabitants of the earth. This is why there's a sense of urgency, because there's nothing you can do to escape God's judgment when it's, when it's, when it's time to be poured out. When, when it talks about what you reap, when you sow, when that time comes for sowing, there's nothing you can do. It, he tells them neither your gold nor your silver Nothing will be able to save you from that day. And so a key point here is the severity of this invasion and this army revealed God's righteous, uh, God's righteous anger and wrath towards sin and evil that's committed against him. Right. That's what's being revealed here is that God don't, doesn't play around when it comes time to deal with with sin and, and evil that's taking place. Right. Because he continues to say. Uh, how he how he's going to execute his his justice right in in verse ten the uh, the earth quakes before them the heaven trembles the sun the moon are darkened and the stars withdrawn their shining the Lord utters his voice before his army for his camp is exceedingly great for he executes his word is powerful uh, for the day of the Lord is great and awesome who can endure it I love that last that last phrase how he he describes it as this great and awesome day. Who can endure it? Because, and, and it's kind of a weird thing to say because we just read about how this is a day of gloom and wrath and it's, it's a scary day. But in how the Lord describes it as a great and awesome day because he understands the executing of his justice as his wrath is being poured out over sin and evil. It leads us somewhere as a people. It leads you to experience his, his, um, his opportunity of mercy that he presents us or for him finally dealing with sin and him dealing with evil in this world. And that's, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, even though it's, it's a scary thing. It's a weird dynamic. But how, what makes God just to do this, right? What gives him the authority? What gives him the power? He's God, right? The very acceptance of morals in our society is the very acceptance that there is a God, Right? Because without, you know, without morals, like, who placed that inside of us, that inherent nature to know when something's evil, to know when something's good, when something's a blessing, that very acceptance that there is morals in our society, that we know clearly stuff is wrong, right? When stuff is getting pushed on to 
our kids when there's agendas happening and we know that it's evil and, and that's not right. It's no, nothing good. That very like acceptance of moral, like this is morally wrong, is a very acknowledgement of God because there has to be a standard of perfection. There has to be a standard and a guideline to measure what is right and wrong. And so that's, that's something to know is like, because God is holy, God is just, right? He's perfection. It gives him the right to, to be the one suitable to execute um, judgment. And so in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, you can read it on your own time. Um, but I love what Paul talks about here. He talks about the law, right? Without the law, he's like, I would have known that I've, I'm a sinner. I would have known that uh, I was continuing my own way. But um, once he understood, right, that the law reveals sin, the law reveals evil and, and all that, he knew it has to, I, I need help. And this is where Christ comes in, right? This is where Christ comes to make us alive because in the law, we're dead in our sin, right? The wages of sin is death. And we've accumulated a debt. It's like we got the Amex black card with our sin. It's just accumulated, right? You swipe after swipe, and we have accumulated this great debt because of the law, and which is which is the law is meant to do. But that ransom has to be paid, and this is where Christ comes into the picture, because what Christ did on the cross, right? He says He gave His life as a ransom for our our sins, for sinners. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 